to the Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. On this podcast, I talk with a range of conservationists every single week, from scientists, students, creatives, innovators, and everyone in between. I hope this can be a platform for conservationists to share their story, educate, collaborate, and ultimately inspire action. So if you want to join our Conservation Tribe, then make sure to hit subscribe and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. And today we are joined by Anthony Penniston from the Lion Watch project run by Vision Africa Wildlife. So the focus of this project is to rescue and rehabilitate lions from can hunting and breeding farms. So Anthony, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is a very dense uh, and emotive topic, and there's a lot of questions I want to ask you. But before we dive into that, can you please give the podcast a little intro on who you are and what you do? Um, I run a project called Lion Watch Project SA, and it's a project that's dedicated to helping specific individual lions that are trapped in the canned hunting and breeding industry. Um, as well as trying to find solutions and ways to maybe get a ban on the industry. Uh, we understand that a ban can't just be put in place. It it will create more problems than good, but there must be better ways to, first of all, regulate the industry, ensure that the animals are being kept under proper and ethical conditions, and then work towards a solution to ending the, the canned lion hunting industry. Um, before we started this project, we've been working for many years with different species. We've worked with leopard. Uh, cheetah, we've worked with lion as well, and rhino, but all of those have been in a, in a wild and free-roaming conservation uh, form. This is the first time that we're really actively working on captive animals. Um, what must be understood is this project is not a conservation project. It's, a, it's an animal welfare project. Um, as we'll, we'll touch on it later, I'm sure, we very strongly don't we believe that uh, there is no conservation value in breeding lions. Um, it's purely for uh, human consumption, basically, in, in forms of hunting and utilization. So what actually is canned hunting and how does it differ from other forms of trophy hunting? Well, usually trophy hunting means going out into the environment where the animal naturally occurs and then uh, stalking it or, or searching for it and then hunting it um, in its natural environment where the animal has a fair chance to escape and there's a challenge for the hunter. Can hunting is totally different where the animal is bred specifically for a hunter um, or for the hunting groups. And they're kept in captivity their whole lives. They're habituated to people. They're fed by people every day and they're used to people. And then just before the hunt, um, well, now the legislation's changed to make it a bit longer, but before the hunt, it will be placed into an area um, which is said to be closer to a free roaming environment, but the area is still way too small for the animal to sustain itself and to be considered free roaming. And then the hunter will come in and hunt the animal within that enclosure. Um, the chances of the animal getting away are virtually zero. Um, there's no fair chase. And often in these situations, these animals are, are fed in that enclosure by the same vehicle every single day that brings the hunter in to shoot it. So that animal's conditioned to people. It's never gonna leave, it's never gonna run away. Um, there's absolutely no chance of that animal getting a fair chase. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 
it's such a controversial topic that uh, I have my own personal views. Um, if I get too personal, then I get emotional and we won't get a, a proper discussion going, but it makes no sense to me. Um, it, it defies the idea of the traditional hunts. And even now, a lot of the hunting groups are coming out and also distancing themselves from the, the practice and, and actually going against it, saying it's not what hunters do. So even the hunters, some of them feel that it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, so you mentioned there's controversy around this particular topic. Um, and you're obviously on the camp that it's a, a bad thing to do. What's the arguments on the other side? Well, one of the most common arguments is they say it takes the pressure off the wild, the wild lions, uh, the wild population. Um, I, I don't know. I, I can see that point. But if you consider the facts where if you look at a wild lion hunt, you're looking at about $200,000 to hunt a wild lion in a free roaming, self-sustaining environment. To hunt a captive lion, you're looking at about $20,000, maybe $15,000. So the value of that lion comes down so much that it opens it up to a lot of people that could never have, afford have afforded the wild lion anyway. Um, trophy hunters are not what's going to make lions go extinct in any, in any way. Uh, the biggest threat facing wild lion populations is um, loss of habitat. There's no suitable places left for lions to exist where they don't come into contact with people. So their habitats, their natural areas are shrinking. Um, at an alarming rate, and that's what's determining the number of lions in the wild. A trophy hunter coming in and taking one of those males in a wild system has, even though it's not a good thing in my opinion, it's not great for the animal, it hasn't got the same impact as everybody's saying that maybe poaching has. Canned lion hunting is catering for a market that either can't afford a wild hunt or just wants a cheap, organized safari where they can guarantee they're going to get that lion in one day and then go on to the next animal. So I don't see it helping in any way for the wild population. Um, they, they often say that, well, lion, they're breeding the lions in captivity because one day they'll be able to put them back in the wild. And it's often all over the place you'll see lions are being released back into the wild. They use the term rewilding. Rewilding and releasing back into the wild or rehabilitating are two very different things. Rewilding in terms of canned hunting is the process where under the law, you may not shoot the lion in the same camp where it's lived its whole life or shoot it in front of its, its, its pride mates. So therefore, you've got to remove that animal out of the, the breeding center and put it in an environment of 100 hectares or bigger. That's called rewilding. That is not releasing back into the wild. Often that animal lives alone in that, in that environment until it gets hunted. So there is no conservation value to breeding these lions for the hunters to hunt them and the excess are going to go back into the wild. That's It's illegal and it's impossible and it should... It will never happen. Um, so the only thing that canned hunting can sustain is the hunting market that can't afford a wild lion hunt and the bone trade, which is becoming a much bigger issue now where there's a great demand for bones. And after the hunters hunting the lions, the bones are then being sold in the bone trade. So it's, a, it's basically a double, a, a double source of income for the, the canned hunters, now, the, the, the breeders now. Yeah, we'll touch on the bone line trade, line bone trade a bit later on and how that actually links with um, cub petting as well. So the cub petting, um, can hunting and the line bone trade. Um, but coming back to the can hunting, um, what are the underlying drivers of the can hunting industry? May, it's, it's just purely financial. It's, uh, there's a lot of money to be made. Um, lions can breed extremely fast. They're very easy to breed. Um, 
pretty easy to look after, actually, believe it or not. Um, you can keep them in really small enclosures. Um, so your costs, the, your input costs to breed lions versus the, the, the money you can make, are the gap is very big. So it's a very lucrative industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's purely just a form of, of income. And then you get, like we were talking about now, you get the spin-off industries of the bone, the bone trade and then the cub petting trade. Suddenly it becomes a very profitable uh, business. So it's a, it's an effective business model. So it's, it's a good money machine, and they um, and then they kind of try and mix in this conservation angle as well. Um, some places try to mix in the conservation angle. Some people purely say no. It's just it's a good business. It's uh, I, I I liken it to chicken farming. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's battery lion farming. That's that's the way I see it. Um, I say this because. I've been into quite a few of these places now and I've seen the conditions that the animals are being kept behind the scenes. And it purely is that a lot of the guys keep the animals in the worst possible states until somebody's going to come and either pick that animal for the hunt or until it gets hunted, then they fatten it up and there you go. And until that point, the the value in the lion to the farmer is the skin, which is the trophy and the bones. Nobody's going to look at the condition of that animal growing up. The bone traders aren't looking at the bones going, oh, these are good quality bones or these are not. Nobody knows what that animal went through until the point it got fattened up and put in front of a hunter. Um, so it's a very, very good industry to be in if you if you can stomach that kind of thing. Yeah, if you can stomach it, yeah. Um, what would you say are the, the main roadblocks that need to be addressed uh, to stop this can hunting industry or... Um, at least put in legislation so that it's uh, different to what it currently is. I think the the very first thing that needs to be to be done is it has to be far more regulated than it is right now. Minimum standards need to be applied and enforced. Um, reasons for breeding have to be investigated properly. People cannot just haphazardly breed the lions. They must. It, it sounds terrible because, of course, I do not support the canned industry at all. But if you are going to breed lions to shoot it, at least breed on order. Don't breed 100 lions to shoot four, make your money, and the other 96 lions suffer because well, there's nothing else to do with them. Um, so I'd need to see proper laws in place to regulate it. People must lose their lions. The lions must be confiscated if you're not following the permits, not just at the point where somebody goes in and does an inspection and they find a lion with no hair or they find a lion half dead from starvation then somebody can go and confiscate. But up until that point, there's no real enforcement of what you can and can't do with these lions. There's different provinces have different minimum camp sizes to keep the lions in, different different uh, rules on how many lions you can keep together. Um, so the first thing that needs to take place is there needs to be some serious, uh, some law enforcement going on. Some permit regulations need to be picked up and people need to follow these things or lose their animals. There needs to be repercussions if you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. That would be the main thing. Secondly, that to um, get the South African public as a whole. This is this industry affects the country. It doesn't just affect the hunting fraternity. Um, the damage that lion hunting has done to our country's reputation as a tourism as a tourist destination is unquantifiable at the moment. People are very quick to the hunts are very quick to to state the figures on how much money they bring into the country. That money stays with the farm. It does not really impact the local communities. It's not like a trophy hunting where 
at least the trophy hunters are using the local community for different services. They are paying to be in the area. They're bringing business to the area. A canned hunting farm is very different. You're going onto the farm. Farmer makes the money. The staff must probably earn the same amount of money as any other staff member in the area. There's no value. There's no benefit going back to, to the community at least. So as a country, we're losing a, a lot more money than what canned lion hunting is bringing in, I believe. Um, and the South African public needs to decide as a whole, not just as a, as a group of people that endorse it or don't, but the entire public needs to get together and go, you know what, this is not good for our country. We do not want it. It's, it's, it's not beneficial to us. And what we found is there seems to be a lot more awareness to canned hunting internationally than there is locally, believe it or not. Um, it seems that uh, less people know about the, the truth behind it in South Africa than a lot of foreign people know it. Well, that's kind of bizarre. Is that what's it is the it's, reasoning behind that? Do you think because of people coming here and realizing something's wrong, they go home and they, they they do something about it. Where the how this always coming out is we have a lot of tourism coming into the country to be a part of the cub petting industry. A lot of those people then get exposed to the truth, and they are not, uh, people cannot fool them to believe that there's something good happening. They realize what's going on. They go home, they make a big scene about it, and they tell everybody they know. South Africans cannot afford to go to one of these cub petting facilities as a volunteer. It's very expensive. So most of the South African market won't go there, and therefore they're not getting exposed to the realities behind this. Um, and Johannesburg is just as far away from me as you are in, in that sense. Yeah. Okay, so it's the awareness is, is shared when people are actually exposed to the ins and outs of this kind of industry, and that's more from people outside of the country. Uh, currently, I believe so, yes. Yeah. And where does this actually, the can hunting industry, where does that occur in Africa? Is it just South Africa or is there other countries as well? Um, currently, there's, it's 99% South Africa, the, the can hunting industry. Um, I know there are a couple of breeding farms around the world, well, around Africa. I know there were some in Zimbabwe. Um, there, there are some guys that do it, but the majority of it happens in South Africa. And this is the go-to place. This is where you get a variety. This is where you get the best service for it. The entire industry is very well set up here. It's a complete industry. The taxidermists are here. The professional hunters are here. The outfitters are here. The farms are here. And what must be remembered is a canned hunter doesn't just come for a lion and go home. Um, one of the reasons a can hunt is such an appealing thing is because on a wild lion hunt, you'd have to book a 21-day safari. That doesn't matter if you shoot your lion on the first day, you're still going to pay for 21-day safari. Um, and if you didn't shoot your lion, you're going to have to focus on getting that lion, which means you cannot do much else. Where some, some of the guys are coming out going, look, I've got two weeks. I need to get myself a lion, a kudu, an impala, a waterbuck, and a wildebeest. They can squeeze it all into two weeks because now it's, it's possible to go and actually get your lion on the day that you plan to go get it. Um, so that's one of the, the attractions to uh, canned hunting. And that's why a lot of the guys come to South Africa because it's not just the lion that they're getting. It's everything else is also packaged in a way for them as well. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a quick, easy package. A lot of guys can't afford to come back to South Africa or Africa. So your hunter comes out going, this is my one trip. I need to bag. They call it a bag. I need to bag everything I need to get and go home within two weeks. So that's why it seems to be more common here than anywhere else. 
Yeah, so it's appealing to a lot of people because of the fact that it's, you know, it's convenient. It saves you time. It's it's easy. It um, appeals to that the part of human nature. It's a drive-through, basically. It's a drive-through market. Yeah. Instead of having to push your trolley down the aisle and collect the items you need, this is a drive-through. Yeah. Go to the window, shoot through the window and go home. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, you mentioned before the, um, the fact that you're wanting to, there needs to be more action on, you know, the regulation side. Are there actually laws in place at the moment that aren't regulated or enforced, or is it a matter that there aren't laws in place? They're there, but it's gray. It's a gray gray. area. Um, so I I don't, I don't want to mention names of departments and stuff, but I've been in a situation where. I tried to go in and, and fix a problem. I, I went into one of these places that was really struggling. The lines were in a terrible state. And I've literally had to take over the place, turn it into a sanctuary and rent the place from the owner to be allowed to work there. Um, then we took over all the feeding costs, all the vet costs, and we, we turned the place down. But in that process, a lot of people weren't sure of my, my position there. Some people thought I was working for the owner. They thought I was his manager, which is ridiculous. Um, but when we would have inspections, when I would complain, because they would, they would come in there with a very negative idea because they'd seen what was happening before I got there. And unfortunately, this rumor got spread that I was this, this person's manager now, which I definitely wasn't. I was paying him to look after his lions with an agreement that once I'm there, these lions can't be shot or moved. Um, but when the departments and the different groups that were told to come and do an inspection to see if the animals were getting better or not, they're pretty hostile towards me saying that I created the situation. And when I turned it on them saying, hey, I wasn't the one that issued the permit here. Then they turn around and go, yeah, our job is not welfare. Our job is um, law enforcement on permits. So they're very strict on things like moving an animal without a permit, taking it in and out of a province, um, catching it in the wild and putting it in captivity. The, the laws are very strict. But when it comes to what's happening inside those places, there's very few laws unless you start moving the animals out or trading in the animals illegally. Um, that's one of the big concerns now with the, the certain animals being classified as agricultural or falling under the, the um, Agricultural Improvement Act, which now suddenly, if lions are under this, under that set of, of rules and regulations, you're allowed to move animals if you can improve um, its value, prove its genetic uh, value if you can do more with it that's the whole idea moving cows from different breeders to create an animal that is better for for human consumption or that can provide more meat uh, versus the cost you put into it the same thing's not going to apply to lions so they're going to be able to move them around which takes that last little bit of control away i believe it actually makes it worse not better but currently the, everybody shrugs their shoulders and they go, well that's not my job my job my job is to make sure you don't move them and this guy says no well my job is to make you sh- make sure you don't illegally trade in them mm-hmm. But the animals can suffer and then it falls in a department which it actually isn't their role to do. Suddenly the SPCA is to get involved and their mandate means that they can only get involved once cruelty is taking place. So there's that borderline area where if you keep those animals just under the radar and keep listening to the orders you keep getting to improve things, you can get away with it. Can you talk more about the the work you actually do at the Lion Watch Project? And um, on your Instagram, you mentioned you rescue the lions can you talk about what that process looks like and where do they go once they're rescued? Okay, so we've not only moved animals to rescue them, we've, we've tried to rescue them where they are as well. Um, we've tried to work with 
people that were struggling with their breeding facilities and try and improve the, li- the lives of the lions within the facilities with, with the rule that says, okay, once we work with them, it's a sanctuary. We take care of all the costs. We do everything that needs to be done, but no hunting is going to take place. No breeding is going to take place. And they're under our full control while we're paying all the costs. So that's one way that we work. Um, I've donated. Sometimes all you can do to help these lions is just donate food to the guys that are, that are breeding them because sometimes they can't get food and we just donate food. Other times um, we will move some of the lions away. Unfortunately, in the past, you could go and say, I'll take that lion. It's obviously very sick or it's, it's unhealthy. Let me take it. I'll look after it. I won't charge you. You don't charge me. But now because there's bone value, even your worst possible lion has value. So you're never going to be able to help a lion or take a lion out of a facility unless it's been confiscated by a, an authority of some sorts or you have to pay the bone fee at least. Otherwise, you're not going to be allowed to work. It, it makes more financial sense for the, the lion to be harvested as bones. And even though there's a, there's a struggle to get permits, I mean, only a certain amount of carcasses or bones may be exported. Bones store for however long you need it. But the way the laws are changing now with the, the, the agricultural classification, that's going to open up a lot faster now. So if we want to take a line out of an area or out of a center, there's very few guys that are going to say, okay, just take it. They're going to expect me to pay for this line. And unfortunately, we have to. So we pay a minimum price. We don't go commercial prices, but we have to pay something towards that animal. Um, and then we'll bring it to our sanctuary. So we have lines at the sanctuary and we are helping lines that are not on the sanctuary. Okay. And your sanctuary, was that, did you buy that? and then converted that into that was previously a breeding farm and you bought that in is that the case you converted that into a sanctuary no, so the land farm on is just a, a normal game farm okay. um we've come to an agreement i don't own the land that we live on but i've got a, a very long-term lease which means that the lease land runs longer than the lives of the lions for um so we can bring lions here and if this was not a plan the, the land where i'm on was not planned for this um i've been here for a while now it was when I went into a specific breeding farm that I, I just said, this is it now. Something's got to be done. And I started working to get the lions out of there. Um, but my lease here is for, for a very long period. So the lions will die naturally before the, the lease expires. Um, we bring the lions here. We built the lion camps. And what we try and do is we build as natural camps as possible. Um, so we build big camps where the animals can hide away. They can choose to be seen or not be seen. Um, we've got natural bush, we've got natural features like a dry riverbed that runs through a lot of the camps, won't flow again, so there's no chance for defense flooding or what. But lions love to sleep in, in dry riverbeds. It's a cool, soft place, especially in the middle of summer. And then a lot of the camps have got a hill that goes up the back. The animals can can climb into the hill, they can get natural shelter, and uh, it's a very enriching environment compared to a sterile camp where there's no trees or except for one tree or a shade roof. Um, at our sanctuary, one of the strict things we do is absolutely no breeding. Um, if an animal comes to us pregnant as part of the rescue, unfortunately, that's the way it is. We're not going to abort either. We're, we're trying to help these animals. But we will not allow any animals, any lions to breed at our facility. Reason being is we're trying to get away from the cub petting, the need for cub petting, and we're trying to show that there is no conservation value in breeding a lion. There's no way we can put these lions back in the wild, not just because they don't know how to hunt, but genetically we cannot put these animals back in the wild so we have a no breeding policy as well um and then we just we just work to make the lion's life as as good as possible until it one day dies from old age and that's the end of that and if we can just do that with as many lions as possible it's it's a form of euthanasia a lot of people are saying let's just euthanize these lions um 
ethically, in my opinion, that's ridiculous. Society has allowed this problem to occur. These guys are not breeding lions illegally. These lions are not illegally in these facilities. They have got legal permits to keep these lions, which means society has allowed them to do it. We now have a responsibility when fixing this or cleaning this up to do it properly. So I don't want the animals to keep breeding, but at the same time, I don't want to um, just euthanize lion because it's a problem. Let's get rid of it. We give the lions a good life. They, they're happy until they die one day. And when they die, that one stops. Yeah. And hopefully we can do that with as many lions as possible to let them live free and well, as free as possible and happy and then and die naturally one day. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, the, the euthanasia thing, um, I can understand why people may suggest that. But if you if there is another option where, like yours, they can be rescued and live the rest of their lives in a way that's you know far better than what it was previously, um, that's obviously a far better option in my eyes. Um, how many lions actually exist in this industry, this canned hunting industry? How many breeding facilities exist? And how does the captive lion population compare to the wild lion population? Um, captive lion population, I'm going to speak from South Africa. I'm not going to speak for the rest of Africa. Um, in South Africa, there's about 3,000 wild lions in, in, in the different reserves that can house them in South Africa. Um, that's an approximate number. In captivity, the estimates range between eight and 12,000 with some people that uh, really know their stuff, saying that they could be close to 20,000. Um, so the captive population far outnumbers the, the wild population. Um, captive lions were bred specifically for hunting. There is no other reason why 90% of the breeders, 95% of the breeders in this country are breeding the lions. So to make sure that you could get certain qualities out of a lion, you want a big body, but uh, your hunter would prefer a massive black mane on a lion. So then what they start doing is they start breeding lions from different areas. So they'll take maybe a Kalahari lion and cross it with a Kruger lion to try and get a genetic, a specimen that is better and has the qualities of both, of, of, of both lions. What that does is it creates an animal which has now got a, a, an unpure gene pool. That lion cannot be now taken and be put back in the wild. It's impossible. So if we had to do that, we'd be now, for lack of a better word, saying we're putting crossbreeds back in the wild. We cannot do that. We need to keep the gene pools that we have pure and safe. And that's what the whole biodiversity um, act in the country is for, is to make sure that we don't unnaturally pollute these gene pools. Um, so the number of captive lions is almost 10 to 1 to a wild lion. Captive lion numbers going up, whereas wild lion numbers are either stable or slowly going down. Um, there's a massive difference, but they're not the same thing. They're, they're, they're two different things. The one is a commodity and the one's a wild animal, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And how many of these lions are actually killed on average annually? Um, to, for somebody like me to get hold of those figures is very difficult. Um, okay. I don't, uh, the minute I start asking questions like that, there's huge suspicion. So to get hold of this is very difficult. Um, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to tell people are not breeding a hundred lines and shooting a hundred lines. Um, but there's also a lot of trading between the facilities for different genes and for different aspects of lines. So one guy will maybe shoot four lines and and trade 15 or 20 with these with other lion breeders. So the trade is quite big. Um, now we currently have a, a permit um, 
you we're allowed to legally export 1,600 carcasses of, of lion bones now for the bone trade. That's gone up from 800 from previous times. So trade-wise versus hunting-wise, it's, it's quite, it's not, it's, it's a gray area. Um, and nobody's 100% open on how they do this. Remember, if you, if you want to do a canned hunt, but you can't get the trophy back into your country, you, a lot of guys are actually willing to shoot that animal, pose for it, take all the photos, but never take the trophy. If that's done, will that, that hunt ever be declared? I don't think so. Um, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I won't even begin to, to go into those figures because I won't be able to give you an accurate answer. We just know it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that we know that it exists is um, reason enough to, to w- um, do what we can to um, stop. You mentioned at the, at the beginning that it isn't a viable option to, to end this industry completely. Uh, is that just over the short term or what's the reasoning there? I, I definitely meant over the short term. Um, I just, uh, I, it's very dangerous to have an industry legal one year and suddenly the whole thing is illegal next year. Um, first of all, you're going to make the people that are breeding the lions very angry and to spite you, they're just going to put their hands up and say, okay, well, you deal with these animals. We don't want a situation where if the numbers are correct and you've got 20,000 lions in captivity, suddenly all the farmers will put their hands up and say, you guys take care of these 20,000 lions. We don't want any knee-jerk reactions. There must be a, a shutdown period. Um, so, yeah, I don't believe in a, in a short-term ban immediately. But improve the regulations and then slow down the breeding. Um, get the industry to regulate itself properly. There are regulation bodies, but they don't regulate each other. I mean, I don't know if you've seen in the news recently, there's been a, a few cases where lions have been found in some of the most appalling conditions ever. The hairless lions from mange and, and lions with massive neurological problems from being kept in such bad conditions. Um, we don't want ourselves now to ban the industry, but guys that are doing this completely wrong thing, stop them first ensure that those places are closed down and let the industry regulate itself. Unfortunately, those guys that I'm speaking about now were under the industry's regulation. When they, when they do something wrong, they get, well, now you're not part of it anymore. But no one's doing anything to stop them. Even the lion breeders should come down very hard on the guys that are doing it bad, badly to at least clean it up a little bit. Um, and then we should work on a long-term process, a long-term plan of, okay, how do we phase this out? over 10 years maybe, maybe even 20 years would be a better way. Slowly phase this out, let people shut down. A lot of people have invested a lot of money, whether we agree with it or not, whether we like it or not, they've put a lot of money into this. So at least let them slowly exit this. Um, and once they've recovered some of their costs, then they can shut down, or at least don't let the shutdown cost them any more money because otherwise they're gonna fight us tooth and nail in court. Um, and unfortunately, constitutionally everybody has certain rights it's not unfortunate but unfortunately that applies to the can hunting industry as well you cannot take someone's right to earn a living out of something that was legal and take it away overnight that's illegal and they're going to win that battle every time we go to court so we've got to come up with a a plan that when we present it and we we try and force it through there is a rational way to shut it down not just a new joke reaction and we're all going to be stuck with twenty thousand lines that no one's looking after now Yes, it's not viable in, in terms of the short term, um, but obviously over the long term, this the idea to cancel it completely is of, is the goal. I, I, that's that's for you goal. personally we'll, and for we'll, me. We'll get it right. I don't know, but that's what we want. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned it earlier, but is there any conservation value in the can line, the can hunting industry? And what would you actually define as conservation value? Conservation value, very plainly put, would mean um, adding to the, 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 the numbers or the wild free roaming status of lions. So if any conservation effort must keep lions safe in the wild and hopefully help to increase their numbers as well. Putting a captive lion back in the wild is a very bad thing. There's no other way to put this. Genetically, we can't do it. It's not just about a lot of people say it's because they need to be taught to hunt by their mothers and all that kind of stuff. That's not true. I could take a circus lion that's 10 years old and within a few months I'll have it hunting and sustaining itself in the, in the, in the wild. It, as long as there are no other dominant lions in the area that are going to kill it. But if it's in an area where it's a suitable area, there's no other wild lions, put it in there, it's going to survive. You need to support feeders for a while until it works out all the little tricks when it comes to hunting, but the instinct is there. It's like a house cat. A house cat goes out and kills birds and mice all the time. Nobody's taught it to do that. None of the owners have gone and, and taught it to stalk and pounce. It's, it's in it. It's in the, in the animal. They just learn the tricks to not just go running up to the animal, you've got to stalk it first. But if you support the animal, it will work. So that's not the reason these animals can't go into the wild. The, the main reason is they're so inbred or crossbred that to put that animal in the wild, especially if there is a wild population that could possibly come into contact with it, now suddenly you're going to put those genes into a natural gene pool, which we've been working so hard to protect for so many years. Now suddenly we're just going to flood it with some very bad genes. That would be incorrect. Um, now, the argument that they say, yes, but um, lion numbers are decreasing in the wild, it doesn't help to breed a lion into existence and then put that animal in the wild. That makes no sense. We euthanize lions all the time because there's no more place for them in their wild areas. So lions are breaking out of reserves all the time. We have to either euthanize them or move them. Now, it makes no sense to me if there is an area that is suitable for a lion to be released into to not breed a lion into existence, put it in that area, and then go euthanize wild lions because there's no more space for them. So the conservation threat or the, the biggest threat to lions has got nothing to do with numbers. It's got to do with um, suitable habitat. Man is encroaching on the habitat. We're competing for them for, for the same space, and it's not an animal that can coexist with man outside of a fenced area. It's going to either kill somebody or kill livestock. So man will not coexist with it other than in a tourism form or in a game reserve. Um, that's the threat to lions. So can breeding helps nothing with any of these problems. Mm. It has no impact whatsoever. Um, so no, I'm, I'm sorry, there is no there's no value to a captive red lion as a conservation animal. It yeah. just doesn't exist. You don't have to say sorry to me. I'm right on board. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry was instead of yeah, I'm just joking. <laughs> that's how I regulate myself. The, the next question I want to talk about is, a few podcasts ago, I talked with a conservationist called Lauren about uh, the the connection between can hunting and uh, cub petting, and this was something that I wasn't actually too aware of. Um, can you expand a bit on that point and explain how the can hunting industry is connected with cub petting, but also the lion bone trade, and why this is a problem? Okay, yeah. So if I go, of course, just uh, pull me back on because it's quite a big topic. Um, the only people breeding baby lions for people to pet are the can hunters. Nobody else in the country breeds a lion. 
again, all these places that say they're breeding for conservation, it's false. It's not true. Anybody that says they're breeding lions to put them back in the, one, in the wild one day, so therefore they need inexperienced people, um, 18 to 20 year old people coming out of cities and coming to South Africa to raise baby lions to put them back in the wild one day, that is fraud. It's, there's no other industry where I could make a claim that is so totally false and get away with it. But it seems to you can get away with it here. Now, the only people breeding lions are canned hunters. It's people breeding them for either trading or hunting. Nobody else is breeding a lion in this country. There's very, very, very few places that, that will breed for the right reasons. So a responsible sanctuary has no breeding, uh, no breeding clauses in its, in its code of conduct. So what happened was at a certain point, the canned hunters realized that there were a lot of volunteers coming to South Africa at that stage to do conservation work. To, to work with big cats, but in a conservation setting or a rehab setting. Now rehab and, and breeding is two different things. So they realized that these same volunteers would pay a lot of money to be able to work with baby lions. But you cannot tell these volunteers, okay, yeah, well, raise this baby lion and then when it's four years old, we're gonna shoot it dead. No one's gonna do that, people are gonna fight you. So they came up with the argument or the, 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 the scam where they said, we need to put these lions back in the wild. And then they quote all the different conservation authorities that all say the same thing. Lions, are their numbers are declining in the wild. That is true. But then they cut off that statement and they don't show them the rest of the statement, which is due to loss of habitat. So these breeding places were then telling the volunteers, lions are going extinct in the wild. We need you to raise these lions so we can put them back. This is a future conservation project, which then took away the guilt from people to come out to this country and raise these baby lions. Um, what they now had to do is a lot of the, the hunting farms have actually separated the breeding farm or the breeding business from their hunting business. They're two different companies now to try and break the link between the hunting and the breeding. But again, there is no one in this country breeding lions other than the, the hunters. They are or people that are breeding them for the hunters. So it's either direct or indirect. If you're packing a baby lion, nine times out of ten, it's going to end up in the canned hunting industry. Only thing is that lion has now been raised by you and formed an affectionate bond with you because lions are extremely social and they need to be bonded to something. They will either live in a pride to raise a lion on its own without any companies is, is terribly cruel. So these lions form these bonds with these people. They grow up thinking that people are, are friends and then they're going to be shot from there. Um, the problem comes in when I start investigating how places are getting away with this is the term rewilding. So they were quoting saying, you raise this baby lion for us. One day we guarantee we're going to rewild that lion. Now, remember earlier, the rewilding clause comes from in, in, in the late 90s. Um, there was a, a, a guy that came to South Africa who first exposed the canned hunting industry. So the, the program or the documentary he produced was the Cook Report. And he came, and at that stage, canned hunting was totally unregulated. You could just do anything you like. And he filmed a canned hunt where the hunter was allowed to shoot a lioness right next to her cubs in a camp watching. It was a tiny camp. So the public went, oh, what is this? What's going on? And a monitorium was immediately placed on canned lion hunting for a while to, to see how they can improve the industry. 
one of the things they came up with to make people feel better about this whole thing was the rewilding part. So no, now no longer can you shoot a lion in the camp with the same lions it was raised with, but now you had to remove that lion and put it in an area um, which is, they say is fair enough for, for the animals to be able to get away from you. A hundred hectares, a hundred football fields, that's nothing. Especially if the animal's conditioned to feed from you every day. The animal can never be self-sustaining, so it's dependent on people every day for its survival. Um, but that term rewilding is what was quoted again and again and again to volunteers, telling them these animals are going to be rewilded one day. And unfortunately, most people, when they see a baby lion, have this urge to cuddle it. It's something inside us. But if you know it's wrong, a rational person will go, I'm not going to go and cuddle that animal if me cuddling means that animal's going to die one day. Or it was bred for a bad purpose, therefore I won't cuddle it. Um, but if you give somebody a nice marketing spiel saying, hey, these lions are going back in the wild one day and you are directly contributing to that, the guilt aspect's gone and now they can have this wonderful experience with this lion. What happened was when the volunteer industry exploded with um, petting projects, suddenly the breeders had to up the breeding because you, you can't have only 10 cubs for 100 volunteers. You can't share one cub between 10 people. There's not enough duties for everybody. There's no place, there's no way to form a bond. So what they did is they upped the breeding. When they upped the breeding, suddenly now they had a situation where we had more cubs going through the system than what we had hunters at the end. And often some of these lions were actually euthanized when they get to six months old because at six months, they're too big for volunteers to work with. It's become dangerous. But then from six months to four years, there's a long gap before that animal gets value again. So and often, oftentimes, they would just euthanize the animal. Um, now, with the bone trade, now you don't euthanize an animal anymore. Now you just, you, well, you don't euthanize it for nothing. You euthanize it, keep the bones, store them, and one day, hopefully, you're going to get to sell them. Um, but the petting industry propped up the canned hunting industry when the industry slowed down. At one point, it became very difficult, almost impossible, to import a trophy of a canned lion. So the main market for, for canned lion hunting is the state. And legislation changed where you couldn't just take a trophy into the United States. You had to prove that it was hunted from a, 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 a free, wild, self-sustaining environment. Um, and because of that, the number of canned hunts went down dramatically. But the petting industry props it up by bringing in a lot of income. So you can consider a currently i think you'll spend about six and a half thousand rand a week to work on one of these volunteer projects as a volunteer so if you've got 20 volunteers in-house at any point that is a lot of money that starts rivaling some of the value for, for actually hunting the line and that kept the line breeders going because there was another form of income then the bone trade kicked in and now the legislation is changing again which is going to make it a bit easier for lions to go back into the states again so the petting helped it out. The petting kept it going. When all else was lost, there was still that value. So a lot of places kept going because of that. Um, so directly, the petting industry has had a major influence on how many lions have been bred in, the, in captivity and the fact that some of the guys kept breeding when, when, when by all rights, they should have made, you know what, this is just not working. I'm going to stop now. Um, so they had a major influence. Yeah. And in the lion bone trade, what's that? Well, it used to only be tiger bones that were, were sought out for traditional medicines and things like tiger wine, tiger bone wine, and things like that. Um, 
But now with tigers almost extinct in the wild, it's very difficult to get hold of the bones. It has now been declared that lion bones hold the same properties as tiger bones. So that demand for tiger bones has now just shifted over to lions. But with captive lions, you can now you can manage that market. You can order on demand. You can you can supply on de- on demand. It's not a case of a poacher having to go into the wild and find himself a tiger and bring it to you. Now you can basically just place an order, and there's somebody who's going to be able to supply it to you. So the tiger bone industry is growing very rapidly. Um, well, well, the export industry from South Africa side is growing quite rapidly now. Um, and we've just increased the quotas from 800 carcasses now to 1,600 carcasses. And if that is fulfilled and there seems to be a demand, it seems like there's, there's very good indication that they're just going to keep raising that. Um, so now it's becoming a, a production industry. Now it's not even a hunting industry anymore. Now it's just a purely a production industry. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just to wrap my head around this whole industry as a business, and the di- the different parts of the timeline where the lion has some kind of economic value. So at the very beginning, you have them as they can pro- provide some an economic value in the cub petting phase through tourism, people coming in and, and petting the, the lion. The next step, is there also kind of a walking with lions as well? Is that often included in some tourism? That's that's the new one now. Is so, that a new one? Um, so it, 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 well, it's becoming more and more popular, and it's a new way of of hiding the fact of what's really happening to these animals. So, it's some people are now agreeing that okay, cub petting is unethical. Um, don't do it. So now we're moving on to lion walking, and places are saying that we're walking these lions for this and that, ambassador, all this stuff. You know what? Before this industry went berserk like this, and all these problems were created. I could accept that argument, but now I cannot accept that argument anymore. What we need to do to stop this whole industry from getting any worse and from lions being exploited the way they are and the demand being so strong to interact with these lions is to stop all forms of public display. Meaning, even you get all these people on Instagram claiming to be doing this to save animals. So they claim that they are taking photos with these lions to bring awareness to stop that from happening. It makes no sense. But Instagram is a totally visual platform. Young people around the world see the image, see their, their favorite celebrity or personality playing with a baby lion. They don't even read the caption. They go, I want to do that. Straight onto Google, find a place that will allow them to do that, and there they go. Same with the lion walking. It's creating this, 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 um, this image of look what you can come and do with us. We're doing this as ambassador animals to make sure that you understand how tough the lions are, the lives of these lions are. It's like a, it's literally like a vegan going to a restaurant, ordering a steak, eating the steak to show you how bad it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. You, you either agree that it's bad and you try and stop it, or you're on the other side. But this thing of ambassador animal, we do it to try and show you how bad it is. This is wrong. And anybody that knows what's really happening to these lions understands that responsibly, even if in my life something happens where I have to look after a baby lion, and it happens regularly, where I have to look after an orphan animal, not just the lion, but other animals as well, I can't now go take photos which inspires other people to do the same thing, because 
They're going to come here searching for it. There's going to be a fabricated opportunity given to them, and we're just driving this industry, and it just doesn't stop. So line walking, I'm against it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, yeah. you just can't justify it right now. Yeah. Maybe one day when we've stopped all this breeding, we've stopped all the can hunting and all of that stuff, the few lines that are still in captivity, maybe we can justify allowing people to have an experience with them to see it, but not at the moment. We all understand now that at this, this time in, 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 in history, we need to stop it. Let this need for everybody to come and pat babies or walk with adults stop and then get control of it, and then we can maybe introduce it again under the correct reasons. But yeah. most of the places, walking lines is just another way to make many other lines without having to say you're breeding the lines. Yeah. But where are these lines coming from that they're walking with? No one's questioning this. Oh, it looks ethical, so not questioning it. One of the biggest things people say at the moment is these lions were given to us because the people that had them couldn't cope. One of those ridiculous things. Or they were confiscated, they, they couldn't cope. What we need to remember is the most valuable time in a lion's life is as a cub when you can pass it and then when it's old enough to shoot. Who in their right mind is going to breed a lion and then give it away at the most valuable time in its life? If you've got a permit to breed a lion, you're in the industry. You're not going to give the lion away at three weeks old or, or, or at eight weeks old. That's when you're going to make your money with it. So if you've got it, you didn't re you, it wasn't a rehabilitation thing. It wasn't a rescue. You bought it on the order. And what we must remember is the definition of rehabilitation is to help an animal that's in a situation where it's either been injured or it's been orphaned for natural reasons. Now, somebody's taking getting it to the point where you can put it back in its natural environment, where it comes from. If you can't, then you're becoming a sanctuary. Um, you can't plan a rehabilitation. You can't go, you know what, June next year, we're going to rehabilitate three baby lives. How do you get this right? How do you always have the right age animals in your facility, the right numbers, right time, so that you can do your thing? These lines are coming from the passers, then it's going to the line walkers, and then where do they go from there? Yeah. You can only have so many lines before you're going to be full. Then where do they go? Then they're going to the hunters. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah, the idea that you can um, plan this rehabilitation period is kind of strange because in order to do that, you'd also need to have a plan in place to put the lions in a position where they need to be rehabilitated in the first place. So it's, it's like if you've got to schedule that, then you need to schedule, um, you know, the lion being, the lion's well-being and, and the suffering and all that as well in order for that to be necessary. They harvest a cub from its mother. Yeah. They are taking it. They're encouraging the mother to breed. When it breeds, they then go take it away and say, oh, we need to rehabilitate this lion or we need to rescue it. The only reason a lioness is going to kill her cubs in captivity is if your facilities are so bad that she's under so much stress that either she kills them from stress or trying to keep them safe. They don't kill their, their offspring. They don't eat their offspring. They look after them. They're one of the most social animals we know. So if you're taking lions away to save that baby lion, it's because the facilities are atrocious or they're not adequate. So it's not a rescue. It's a consequence of bad planning. Um, but this thing, if you look at the times where people have baby lions, it normally coincides with March, April, May, they come in because our volunteer season is from March through to September. 
and it's the busiest time is over the, the, the July holidays, which is the northern hemisphere summer, where everybody travels. And suddenly, somehow, these animals seem to be confiscated and rescued more then than any other time. It makes no sense. And you can't have constant the same number. It just doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah, I think that there definitely needs to be some more awareness uh, in terms of people that want to potentially volunteer in, in countries like this because it's hard for a volunteer, you know, a lot of the time to to understand that it's it's not necessarily a good thing to do. So what advice would you would you give to volunteers or potential volunteers who are looking at working with animals in South Africa and they've come across a place that does offers volunteering at these cub petting. What advice would you have to these potential volunteers? Um, when it comes to lions, so there are differences when you come to cheetahs. Cheetahs are truly endangered and there are some breeding programs that are able to put cheetahs back into the wild. It's a very different animal. When it comes to lions, if they breed, it's not good. There's only one market for the adult lion after they breed it, and it's not the wild. It's not going to be a free-roaming, self-sustaining animal. So if you understand that concept, you can't put a captive bred lion back in the wild. If somebody's breeding that lion, there can be no other reason than for consumption in some form or another. So if they breed, it's bad. If, if, if a lion cub had to, if somebody had to confiscate the lion, for instance, under true reasons, or a lion cub had to somehow come into our facility, I'm not going to make it a volunteer project. I'm not going to advertise it. I'm going to keep it quiet. If somebody has to help me for any reason, I will never, ever, ever allow them to market those photos. So if people are marketing these things, showing this stuff as a reason for you to come to them, it's bad. It's not a good place. When it comes to lines, it's bad. There's, there's no other way around it. Um, if a place says that they're breeding for conservation, they're lying. If it's lions, they're lying. You know, the, 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 the chances of me being wrong, the one time that I could be wrong is so small that I'm willing to come out and say they're lying. Mm -hmm. It's not even a, a question. Um, lion walking, I personally don't agree with it because all that this is doing is showing other people how wonderful it is to interact with these lions, even if the person doing it had a good ethical, moral reason to have those lions and now walk with them. The demand you're going to create by putting that stuff on the internet and allowing people to do this is going to be far greater than what you can supply, which means somebody else is going to do it for the wrong reasons. So it's bad. And there's no, it's, we have to look at this like this right now. Once we fix the entire problem, we can look at it differently. But up until that point, it's bad. If you're interacting with the lions one-on-one, -on -one, raising them, 100% bad. Yeah. So the main thing is... The main giveaway is if they, if the place that they're looking at volunteering at the breeding lines, that's a, that's the red flag. So if, yeah, if that information yeah, isn't on their website, ask ask the question to them as well, because I imagine a lot of them um, may not put that information on the website. Like as if they've got cubs, obviously you probably um, would connect the dots but um perhaps people the volunteers think that these cubs were rescued from some somewhere else so ask that question as well to these people where were they rescued 
Why were they rescued? Yeah. What's the outcome for these animals? Where are they going? And how many have you been involved with? You can't rescue 40 lions and only still have five in your facility or 10 in your facility. Yeah. Because where did the others go? Yeah. And if they stay into the wild, it, I'm telling you now, if they say they went back into the wild, you can call them out and call them a liar and they cannot fight you. It's a lie. Okay, so those are the two points. So the breeding, that's a red flag. Breeding of lions is a red flag. The second red flag is the rewilding, the, the rewilding of the, the lions because yes. that, you know, that In seems to be a loophole. That seems to be a loophole. It's a lie. Yeah, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Okay. It's, they're purposely misleading you to think that rewilding means free roaming, set free in the wild, released back into the wild. It's not Very the case. different. Rewilding means giving it a period in an area that's bigger than its lion camp until it gets shot one day. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. And and just to go back on the the lion money chain, just to kind of go over all the, the different stages. So the cub petting, the lion walking, the canned hunting, and then the lion bone trade. That's kind of... There's another one. Oh, I've missed one. There's another one. So there's another industry, and that is this whole thing of... Um, they're calling them ambassador animals. I am going to raise these animals in a facility that I've created to teach the public about lions. Those are making huge amounts of money through sponsorship, through donations, through um, advertising. People go to their places to be associated with these people. They are, they are animal celebrities almost, but they have no reason to be doing this. They created this facility and it's creating huge amounts of money. So I'm not going to go into specific names and things like that, but there are a lot of people with no qualifications, no reason to be here, came here, bought some animals, called themselves a, an awareness center, and they're making fortunes out of these animals. They're sitting with millions of Instagram followers. People are believing every word that comes out of their mouth. And then when you really question them from a point where you know what's going on and you question them, they go, we're doing this for awareness. And again, I go back to the vegan with a steak. I'm sorry, you're doing the wrong thing to show other people why not to do it. But you're creating this hype that everybody now wants to emulate you doing it, not listening to why you are doing it to try and stop people from doing it. So this animal ambassador, these educational animals that pop up centers, I'm not talking about places that have been around for, for years that have been true rehab centers and, and true research facilities. I'm talking about these pop up places overnight. Somebody comes out here from another country, likes what he's doing, actually he sees, buys himself some animals, becomes an expert in these animals and creates a huge problem for us where everybody else now wants to emulate him. So that's a totally different industry. And those guys are making a lot of money as well. Make no mistake, they make money out of sponsorship, out of um, advertising, out of revenue services that they can generate by raising those animals and by teaching them to do things and, and, and make, do tricks. And basically, they're doing tricks. I mean, they stand and they go, come, and the lion jumps all over them, and they, they hold the lion on their shoulders. And If you're ever going to put that animal back in the wild, that's the last thing you do. You never teach a predator to jump on you. Because when it's bigger and it sees somebody that doesn't know, you're going to jump on them and kill them. So they do all the all the things that we know is wrong, but they do it in such a way that it looks amazing. They tell the story, but it's 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 one big lie. Mm. Um, there's no value in it for that animal, even through awareness. You're doing more harm than good. Yeah, the more harm than good's I think a good point, especially if they're posting it up on social media. Like one thing that I'm a concept that I'm quite fascinated with at the moment is this idea of 
liking an animal to extinction. So liking for those who can't see me doing this sign with my fingers, liking on social media, Instagram and Facebook and that kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of animal influences or accounts with a lot of a, a massive following um, who post photos and videos with these animals, um, you know, hugging a lion or swimming with a tiger or um, showering with a chimpanzee and they garner millions and millions of views and likes. And this only, um, like, all you have to do is read the comment section and they're like, I want to, this experience, I want to, where can I buy a, a lion or a chimpanzee? Okay. Where can yep. I, exactly. it, it perpetuates this, the, you know, the illegal wildlife trade and, it also perpetuates these industries from being established because they understand that these this this attention on social media creates this demand for a business like this. So, yeah. our, in that sense, our likes and our attention on on social media have the weight of dollars in terms of supply well, and demand. Well, saying you like an animal into extinction—that's that's that's perfect. Um, you like seeing animals to live a life of misery and you like it. You think it's wonderful. Um, even the guys doing it, they say they do it for the love of the animal. But if your love of the animal is going to cause further harm, you shouldn't love that animal. Um, showering yeah. with a chimpanzee. It's a pathetic attempt to try and show that you care about chimpanzees. You're not. You're doing that and showing the public to further your own personal fame. It's a game. It's an issue of gain. I want my fame. I want to be the guy that does it. And exactly what you say, other people go, well, I want a baby chimp. And where do the baby chimps come from? Either they're going to come from a disgusting breeder or they're going to come out of the wild. And chimp poaching is a massive issue at the moment. So you, if you love that animal, you would feel responsibly, uh, you'd feel like a, a responsible um thing inside you that's going to say, don't make other people do the same thing. Stop furthering the very stress. It's, it's threatening these animals, making them, forcing them to live in terrible conditions. Don't do it. Um, I've got a lot of pictures long before these, uh, these cancerities started offering petting experiences. I mean, when I first started my career, when I worked with a, brick, with a big cat in a situation where we truly did try to get it back into the wild, there was maybe one of five people that I knew of that were doing this ever. Suddenly now there's more people living in Germany, England, and the States that have handled big cats than have actually ever worked with big cats in this country. It became this, this, this mass industry and it's being furthered by the people doing this. So I will, I will never go and show these images to the world to say, Hey, look what I'm doing. Come help me save these animals. You're not, you're, you're doing so much damage. You need to be responsible with the stuff. You have to be responsible with your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth. It's the same with Instagram. The pictures you post, you've got to be responsible with it. You can't just put them out there and expect people to interpret them correctly because they won't. They're just going to have the desire to do the same. Yeah, um, totally. So I know exactly what you mean about these chimpanzees and these tigers and the swimming pools. And that's, that's the state. And in South Africa, we've got people doing similar things with lions, saying, I'm the lion savior. I'm the this. I'm the that. But you're doing no good for them. You don't even come out and pinpoint all the problems with this industry because you know when you start pinpointing the problem with the candy industry, those candy hunters are going to say, hey, but you buy my lines for your projects. Mm. And then that's why, that's the only reason I think they protect this industry like this. Um, so no, it's, you know, it's unethical to walk with a lion. It's unethical to have an ambassador animal and publicly show off with it. Mm -hmm. 
you can do just as much teaching of, of, of the public by showing them the animal and showing them the things that are happening. Um, and a good, a good way to look at it is, if you look at an Instagram account that started similar to the time when I started Lionwatch, you'll see Lionwatch very slowly get followers because it's only responsible people looking at what we're doing. Then you look at the guys with these lion walks and these circus tricks they do with these animals, they're going into the millions within a month. And you think, just, how is this possible? Because people want that. They want this need to do what these people are doing, and it just snowballs into a disgusting industry. So, no. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's this one thing that I'm quite passionate about that 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 idea, um, and how social media is used to kind of perpetuate this thing. And and like you just said, the rapid growth that these accounts receive just shows to me that there needs to be more education around why this is such a bad thing. Like a lot of people probably they just they can't make that link. They can't make that link from tiger and or chimpanzee in shower and chimpanzees being poached from the wild. Like they they can't make that link, so they need to be exactly. educated on, on that. Um, we're nearing the end, um, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on the wider debate uh, around trophy hunting. It's it's a tough one. Um, I personally would not see myself ever becoming a trophy hunter. It's just, it's not something I would like to do. But trophy hunting is a massive, massive topic. Um, I can accept some of the argument where the hunting groups will say, the places that we're hunting, there is no photographic tourism. There's wars, there's this, there's that. The hunters willing to go into the areas, photographic tourism is, is not. So they do bring a value to the animal being left alone in the wild for them to hunt. So there is some value there. Um, but then you get to, okay, what do we hunt? It's one thing to go out and hunt an animal like an impala, a kudu, any of your herd animals, which in terms of the food chain have, have adapted and evolved to be hunted by the dominant predator. Whether it be a man with a gun or a lion or a wild dog, their social structure, their herd structure is there to accommodate being hunted. Now, I don't agree with hunting of the big cats. I've heard all those theories. Why? Well, I don't agree with it. I don't think it should be done. But I'm not going to come out and say stop trophy hunting because there's that knock-on effect again. Whether it's right or wrong, there's that knock-on effect. If they abandon these areas, it could do more harm than good. But I personally would not see myself enjoying that. I saw on your Instagram page the this article about – let me read it here um, – South Africa has recently reclassified 33 wild species as farm animals, including lions. Can you expand a bit on that and potentially how this could affect the canned hunting industry? Well, it's, uh, it's quite a controversial uh, thing that's been passed now. Um, it was done very quietly. It was not put out for public review. Um, and it was it was done before anybody knew it was was done. The problem with it is, in terms of agriculture, what you're trying to do is create a genetically superior animal which is better for production, whatever the product is, whether it be meat, whether it be eggs, milk. You're trying to genetically modify or, or change an animal to be superior. In terms of conservation, that's the exact opposite. We are trying to preserve what is there with 
without interfering with it, without cross-breeding, without all these other things. Um, so in terms of biodiversity, it's a disaster. I cannot see how this is going to work. It's actually, it's contradictive to some of the laws we have already in place. What it does mean, though, is it's going to allow the lion farmer, now who truly is a farmer, not to have to be so strictly controlled. Because in order to produce, let's, let's go for a cow, for example. If we're breeding cows, now you want to change a bit of your, your, your cows. You don't need to now go and apply for a permit to go buy a cow from three farms down and swap his, your bull with his bull. Suddenly, so what this could potentially create under those farming laws, people could start moving lions as farm animals without the strange, same strict control that there was before if they were wild animals. That's problem number one. Problem number two is we are going to create animals which are alien, which will be considered bad bad animals to be introduced back into the wild. So we're going to take geez, I mean, there are some species of lions. One has this, one has that. They're going to be crossbreeding these animals to be a, a bigger animal, better mane, better at this, better at that. And that animal is going to be so badly bred that you can never put that animal back in the wild. So we're going to make this problem even bigger. And now we're actually encouraging people to do it. And then there's another concern where, which comes to once you start intensively breeding and managing populations of animals, you create problems with disease and all sorts of other issues, which we don't know where this will go. So you can look at other animals that have been bred intensively. It creates problems with breeding, problems with healthcare. Suddenly now we've got to start um, vaccinating animals and all these things that we never used to do to wildlife, wild animals. Now we're going to have to do them because they're now farmed animals and you, you're trying to maximize production. So there's a lot of problems that can come with this. Um, and I feel it was done purely to help your lion farmers and other species which could be under the same way, um, it's done to make it easier for them, to make it easier for them to sell their product because the regulations on selling those animals now change a lot as well. How are they going to breed them? Who's going to control them? I don't know how this is going to end. Um, it potentially could be a big, big problem. And the only ones that will gain out of this are the actual farmers. Again, the, the damage this is going to do to our country as a conservation destination, as a tourism destination, is big. If you look at our neighbours, a lot of our neighbours' uh, tourism is going up a lot better than ours. It's increasing much faster than ours, and ours could be even be certain segments of the, the tourism um, uh, market is actually declining because of this. So the damage that this reclassification can do to us as a conservation uh, destination is going to be so high, but no one's quantifying, no one's putting this into money terms, and the only people that are going to benefit are the other the guys that are actually breeding the animals. So I, I potentially see some big problems coming with it. Um, I don't know if there's anything can be done about it because it's really been passed. Um, we now are all waiting to see how this is going to impact and what rules are actually going to be in place. I actually spoke to somebody regarding another issue saying, well, how does this affect me now? And this is a permitting officer who says, well, we don't even know how it's going to affect us yet. Nobody even knows how this is going to happen. They, it's almost like they haven't done the homework to think, okay, what are all the consequences of changing this law? They did it because it was one benefit. And who cares about the rest? I mean, it seems like they've it's, quantified it's the the, uh, the financial benefit in the very immediate future. But beyond that, they haven't, they haven't really considered it, it seems like. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's, a, it's very yes. unethical in my opinion. Just from an outsider looking in, the fact that lions are now considered farm animals in South Africa is like a, a red flag. It's like, no, they're not. Like that can't be that can't be good. 
it can be a good Why thing. Why do you think like this is beyond me? But I tell you what, every comment I've read from around the world has gone, is it a joke? Are you kidding me? That's pathetic. Well, it, looks, it sounds like a joke because it's not just lions. Like what <laughs> other animals are considered farm animals? Like rhinos, what other species there? Uh, zebras, uh, roan, sable. These are all species that potentially can make a lot of money. So if you look at a sable, a sable antelope, um, it, it's, it was it was always a bit of a rare animal in South Africa. So farmers realized this, game farmers, and they started putting them one side and breeding them and getting a bit longer horns and looking after them. And the value slowly went up and up and up. At one point, a sable bull was sold, sold at 12 million rand. So people realized that there's massive money to be made in this, and they started intensively farming them. And then they started crossbreeding them with things like the Zambian sable. They bring in Zambian sable because it was a, had better this, and then they bring in this sable because it had a better body. And they were creating animals that were not the true species that occurred in this country. And at a certain point, people asked some questions. Conservationists were going, you know, if I want to go and catch a lion in Kenya, and I want to release it here, I'm going to be stopped immediately by the biodiversity department and say, hey, this is not one of our subspecies. You cannot just bring these animals here. It's a subspecies. Now, with sable, we're legally allowed to crossbreed these animals and then put them in a bush. And by putting them as a farm animal, it changes that now. Because now you don't have to worry about biodiversity and all the rules that come with uh, moving wild animals. You can now crossbreed that animal and let it go on your farm because you're allowed to have a game farm and a cow on the same farm. You're allowed to have cattle and game at the same place. But now, essentially, that sable is going to be classified as a cow in, in, in some ways. So therefore, you can put crossbred sable on your farm and have no problems now. Mm. Same with roan. I mean, your Southern African roan is, is a very small group of animals. It's, it's so endangered. Now they're taking run from other areas and crossbreeding them. That was so illegal in the past. Why, if your animal was crossbred or, or had a subspecies um, as part of its makeup, you could never move that run. They were testing for it. If you had one of those, you weren't allowed to sell that animal. Yeah. By putting it as a farm animal, nobody cares anymore. Now you're moving it as a cow. Basically, what are farm animals? Consider them as farm animals. The same rules are going to apply. It's going to be a, it's a joke. It's an absolute disaster. But it's for financial gains to make it easier for the ones that do breed them to breed them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not 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 great news, is it? Um, no. What you guys are doing though is pretty impressive. So, how can people connect with uh, the Lion Watch Project, and how can people help support your work, and even like online and through? donations and whatnot, but also physically uh, as well, volunteering. Well, so there's a number of ways. Um, one of the big things is you have a much stronger voice when you've got people behind you going, I agree with you. So to get people behind us to say, you know what, we believe in what you're saying, you've proved what you've said, we're going to put our voice behind you. So when you do go make your, your fight and your stand, there's people that agree with you. So just supporting us, literally just supporting us if we put an important message out there, send it around. Let people read it. Follow up. Make sure people are reading these things. Just get the word out with us. That's, that's number one. That's the most important thing, just helping us get the word out and, and forming a group that's large enough to start really making a difference. Number two, um, you, with our facility, we have a lot of work that needs to be done on the ground. I mean, you're not going to come and help me raise a baby lion. There's no glam involved, but 
I can only do so many things at the same time. I can only drive to so many places to get food, be back to fix fences, to make sure that everything's running, to still get onto the computer, to market the project, to explain to people what's going on, to tell them we need help here, to put posts regularly on Instagram, because if you don't, people don't listen. There's so much work involved that if you want to do something more than just support us, come out. Um, I would rather somebody, instead of making a donation, comes and spends a week with us. Rather let us earn your money, rather let the project show you what it's doing. One of the problems with receiving too much sponsorship is when I compare myself to the, the breeders, I'll say, you know what, when I took over this other project, we were looking, we started off with 100 lions and then we had 67 large animals stay when the agreement was at a point where the owner could only take so many and then from there, the rest that stayed off for three months for us was under our, our protection. When we were looking after those, those 67 animals, um, sorry, a message popped up now. I lost my train of thought completely. Um, so, yeah, so you can't come and help us raise baby animals, but there is a lot of work to do, and we need to get that message out there. So come and help us clean camps. Come and help us prepare food. Come help us drive. I mean, some of the places we pick up food is, is, is a 10-hour trip there and back. It takes us out the whole day. So there's a lot of work, but there will be absolutely no petting, no hands-on, um, it's all the stuff that needs to happen behind the scenes. And now I've got my train of thought back. If you're going to sponsor us, rather come out and help us. So when I explain to a, a breeder, hey, I've got the same costs as you. I was looking after 70, uh, 67 lines. Yet in that time I was there, I was able to double the enclosures, put in proper water facilities, put in proper enrichments, and feed the animals to the point where they were back into health. And I was not earning nearly what you were. Mm-hmm. The breeders turn around and go, you live in a dream world. You get sponsored. We have to earn our money. So with our wow. income, rather let us earn it. Come and spend time with us. Do something amazing. Let us earn that, that, that income so we can show we work for our money, yet we earn a fraction of what the hunters do, yet we can do twice as good for the lions. Um, if you can't come out, sponsor somebody. Find somebody who can come out, put him on a plane and get him here. Um, sponsor a local child from one of our local schools. One of the things we want to do is Bring children in, even if it's just for a weekend, to come and spend some time with us so they can go home and tell their parents, you know what can hunting is actually about, and get that message out there. So there's a number of ways that you can sponsor us without just donating. Um, so that, that would be, that'd be a very nice way to help us, but uh, at least support us with your, with, your, with your words. At least stand behind us, and let's, let's make a real stand here. And the main places to do that on your social media is on Instagram, Facebook, and the, the handle is um, Lion Watch SA? Yes, Lion Project SA. Lion um, Project SA? Lion Watch Project SA. Um, you can also, you can email us. Um, the thing is, with our location, we have some, some very bad internet service out here. And even on a good day, we sometimes don't have. So I've now adopted Instagram because it's the fastest, easiest way for me to keep everybody up to date and to get information in. Um, but direct emails or through the, the Facebook pages is not a problem either. Okay. And website, do you have a website? Uh, not for Lionwatch at the moment. We have got the, the website for Vision Africa Wildlife um, and there is a link there. Okay. So if anyone has any questions or wants to help out in some way, the best way is to uh, send you a message on Instagram. Instagram or email me at info at visionafrica.co.za. Okay, perfect. Uh, I have all these links and whatnot in the 
the podcast show notes and um, on social media as well. Um, to finish off the podcast, what message or question do you want to leave the conservation tribe? What would I like to leave the conservation tribe? Um, to do with lions or just in general? Whatever you want. Lion lions can be in general. Um, it would be to whatever you do, just check what you do first. Make sure that whatever you assist with, whatever you support, whatever you get vocal about, Wherever you make a stand, make 100% sure you've researched it and you fully understand what you're getting behind. Um, why I say that is look at these Instagrammers that are getting thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to go, oh, wow, you're doing an amazing thing when actually what they're doing is the exact opposite. Check it out first. Ask questions. Don't be afraid. If somebody wants to get difficult with you, there's a reason for it. Just always, always investigate what you get involved in. I think that's a really good message. That's another thing that I'm quite passionate about is as consumers, we need to be more critical with how we consume um, content. You know, we need to read captions. Or if we come across something that doesn't seem quite right or we, we can't be so reactive, we, it's our responsibility to dive deeper and, and explore more on the issue, pop on Google, research it, ask questions. We need to be more critical, I think, just generally. And question the answers. If yeah. it's directly from the supplier, question the answers. Because if he is doing something bad, he's not going to go, you know what, we're actually awful people. <laughs> of course but not. We're do it anyway. He's going to give you some wonderfully worded explanation. You've got to check it out. You've got to question the answers. Get proper answers, not just wishy-washy, happy answers. So definitely question, question, question. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. And if you want to be an extra legend, then please also leave a review. It really does help grow the channel. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next episode.